Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, February 13th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, looking ahead to South Carolina, understanding the impact of black voters, Klobuchar's sudden rise to third, millions becomes billions in Sanders' lexicon, researchers claim a voting app has deep flaws, Gallup finds Americans distrust the honesty of our elections, and... It's nine days to the Nevada caucuses, 16 days to South Carolina's primary, 19 days until Super Tuesday, and 264 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. With Nevada over a week away, the focus seems to be on South Carolina? It does make sense. South Carolina has 50% more delegates to award than Nevada, and it has a primary while Nevada is running caucuses. I'll talk more about the Nevada caucus process and concerns tomorrow. Nevada's demographics more closely match the United States as a whole. About 30% of the population identifies as Hispanic of any race, to use the U.S. Census Bureau's terminology, and 10% identify as non-Hispanic Black. Nationally, the population is about 12% non-Hispanic Black and 18% Hispanic of any race. But Nevada is a relatively small state, and caucuses reduce the impact even more by ensuring that far fewer voters will participate as a percentage of likely Democratic general election voters as in a Democratic primary. South Carolina is seen as more of a bellwether for how a candidate will perform among Black voters nationally, as its Democratic electorate is 60% African American. Black voters will essentially pick the Democratic candidate if they coalesce around a particular candidate, and will pick the president because a slight difference in turnout of Black voters and a small percentage shift between parties, as happened in 2016, will be a key factor in most of the toss-up states to win the Electoral College majority. Yesterday, I noted former Vice President Joe Biden's support among Black voters by the Washington Post-Ipsos was at 50%. That poll talked to 769 non-Hispanic Black Democratic-leaning voters and had a margin of error of plus or minus 4%. Two polls since then show Biden way down in support, but neither have a very big sample of Black voters. Both Monmouth University and Quinnipiac University showed a big drop from the Ipsos poll for Biden, but both of those polls failed to provide either a breakout for the subset of voters they spoke to by race or a margin of error for that subset. It was likely in the low hundreds, and the margin of error could be huge. So I'm not setting that much truck by them, even though reporters have been widely citing them since they came out as proof Biden's support has dropped. For example, the LA Times wrote, quote, a national Quinnipiac University poll released earlier this week showed support for Biden among black voters dropping to 27% from 49% since late January. It may have, but I don't think the polls are solid evidence of that. Apples to apples comparisons with statistically significant representation is the only way to draw solid conclusions. This is why if you're serious about citing polls, you have to read them, not just the top line conclusions. There are more notable signs, however, which is to look at endorsements. The AP reports that Biden has compiled the most endorsements from black elected officials statewide in South Carolina. But some have held out their endorsement for now or given the nod to Senator Bernie Sanders or, more surprisingly, to former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, such as J.A. Moore, a South Carolina state representative from Charleston. Buttigieg has negligible standings among black voters across multiple polls and has faced accusations that as a mayor, he didn't improve policing policies against the black community and has had issues with campaign staff of color feeling left out of decision making. South Carolina's Moore attended a party for Biden in that state Tuesday night that Biden also attended, which the New York Times described as seeming like a victory party, even as Biden was finishing fifth back in New Hampshire. Moore ticked off a number of issues that give him pause, quote, and this is paraphrased, 
Mr. Biden's past support for crime bills that some experts argue resulted in harsh sentences for black offenders, his treatment of Anita Hill during Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court confirmation hearing, and his eulogy for Strom Thurmond, the state's one-time Dixiecrat senator. End quote. The LA Times interviewed a South Carolina voter, a 45-year-old middle school teacher, who said, quote, I just need to see him hustle a bit more. The message seems to be, I'm Joe Biden. I know you're going to vote for me. It's almost like just because he was Barack's old running mate, he assumes he's got the black vote in the bag, end quote. The LA Times notes that this voter is also considering voting for Buttigieg. The AP noted, quote, Biden probably will need a commanding victory by the time the Democratic contest reaches South Carolina. Any shifts in voter sentiment could narrow a hope for win or, in a nightmare scenario, relegate him to second place, threatening the viability of his campaign, end quote. Besides leading national competitors for the nomination, Biden has to contend with billionaire Tom Steyer. Steyer has flooded the state with ads, pinning his hopes on both South Carolina and Nevada to give him a boost in the standings as Super Tuesday approaches. Steyer earned his spot in the 8th DNC debate almost a week ago because he'd topped the necessary threshold of support in at least two early deciding state polls in those two states. Polling in Nevada and South Carolina is relatively thin, but the three most recent South Carolina polls show Steyer in second or third place behind Biden. Fellow billionaire Mike Bloomberg has been courting the black vote. He spent heavily in South Carolina. I mean, he spent heavily everywhere, but he otherwise has decided not to contest the first four states and focus on Super Tuesday. I discussed Bloomberg's policing baggage on Tuesday. Despite his largely progressive views and huge personal investment in reducing gun violence, Bloomberg oversaw the expansion of stop-and-frisk policies in New York City while mayor. The practice favored stopping Black and Latino youth was ruled unconstitutional, was shown statistically to have had no effect, and Bloomberg vociferously defended it for years until an apology in front of a Black audience last November. Bloomberg wasn't widely known outside New York until his ad barrage, however, so Black and Latino voters in the rest of the country may be largely unaware of this policing history. He's polling fairly well among Black voters nationwide, and his national standing has been rising in recent weeks. PBS NewsHour quoted the head of Black Lives Matter, Hawk Newsom, on this topic, quote, He should have done it when it mattered. Now he just looks like someone who's willing to say anything to get elected president. What he's selling we already bought, paid for, and returned, end quote. Most pundits and pollsters had already written Senator Amy Klobuchar off before Iowa, but then the conventional wisdom just two weeks earlier was that Biden would have some ups and downs in the four early caucus and primary states, but sail through to Super Tuesday. That didn't come to pass in the first two states, and Klobuchar may be a big reason. Buttigieg had already had an edge on Klobuchar in the polls and kept rising, but Klobuchar seems to have garnered momentum, or Klobmentum, from picking up previous Biden supporters and the supporters of other candidates who fell away. In New Hampshire, her third-place finish was remarkable, both for the speed at which she's risen and for polling so much higher there than Senator Elizabeth Warren, who serves an adjacent state. Klobuchar, at nearly 20%, received more than twice the votes of Warren. As I noted yesterday, despite Sanders' win, moderates ruled the roost, capturing over 50% of the vote for major and minor candidates. Sanders, Warren, and other progressives received closer to 40%. Klobuchar has seen money pour in since the debate six days ago. As of yesterday, the AP reports she raised $4 million following the debate, and then $2.5 million more after her New Hampshire finish. However, she may have a harder path ahead. She, like Buttigieg, outperformed in mostly white states. As I just discussed, Nevada represents America's demographics better, and Black voters dominate South Carolina Democratic primaries. Klobuchar's polling, like Buttigieg's, is 
practically non-existent among black voters nationally. Many states in Super Tuesday reflect the country's demographics better too, like Texas and California, than like Iowa or New Hampshire. With fresh cash in hand, however, Klobuchar is looking to book ads in South Carolina and is changing up the ground plan. The New York Times reports, quote, her campaign is aggressively expanding. It currently has 50 staff members on the ground in Nevada and plans to have campaign workers in multiple Super Tuesday states by Saturday. The campaign is also starting a seven-figure ad buy in Nevada, and she has events lined up in Reno and Las Vegas. Without playing favorites, I do love when narratives and predictions are being upended, showing that there's no outcome yet carved in stone. Given the potential of a brokered convention, Klobuchar could wind up arriving with a significant number of delegates and be in a position to be a kingmaker or queenmaker. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag, thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is. Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom! Two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. An amusing but relevant note in passing, CNBC reported that in its analysis, Sanders has dropped the term millionaires from his lexicon. In his New Hampshire victory speech, for instance, he said, We are taking on billionaires and we're taking on candidates funded by billionaires. There are a lot of billionaires in the world, but not that many really. And I wondered why he had switched up to the B when I heard him say that. Jacob Pramick at CNBC notes that in the wake of the 2016 election, between book deals and other earnings, Sanders became a millionaire himself. It's also not odd for someone of Sanders' age who has worked continuously for his adult life and into typical retirement age, as has his wife Jane, to acquire millions through the appreciation and value of a house, savings, retirement accounts, and pensions. So it would make sense to call out billionaires who are radically distorting the economy and this election cycle, and this one more directly than most previous ones, even if you buy the notion that Trump is a billionaire and not a great manager of massive amounts of debt. But here's what Sanders said about becoming a millionaire last year at a town hall, quote, But I think your question should ask, well, now that you wrote a book, you made money, is that going to mean that you change your policies? Well, you're looking at somebody who not only voted against Trump's disastrous tax plan, 83% of the benefits going to the top 1%, 
but I have and will continue in this campaign to fight for progressive taxation, end quote. Pete Buttigieg has used this information to his advantage, I think, when Elizabeth Warren criticized his fundraising among the very wealthy, including in a wine cave in Napa Valley, Buttigieg said this to her, quote, You know, according to Forbes magazine, I'm literally the only person on this stage who is not a millionaire or a billionaire. This is the problem with issuing purity tests you cannot yourself pass. If I pledge, if I pledge never to be in the company of a progressive Democratic donor, I couldn't be up here. Senator, your net worth is 100 times mine, end quote. So I don't think the CNBC article is necessarily a gotcha, because what Buttigieg said is worth pointing out, especially in a race with two billionaires who will spend potentially a billion dollars or more between the two of them from their own holdings. Anyway, here's Sanders speak singing an introduction to Where Have All the Flowers Gone, uncovered by Andrew Kaczynski of CNN. War, the human disease that has plagued mankind forever. Sticks and stones, spears and knives, guns and cannonballs, tanks and planes, bombs and missiles. An academic paper released today could shake things up with regards to online or app-based voting as it documents substantial security failings in votes. That's V-O-A-T-Z like Z, the only online voting app currently in testing in the U.S. While the concept of voting by app may seem desirable to increase voter turnaround and remove at least some bars that keep people from the polls, I live in Washington state, a state that switched to vote-by-mail elections, and that increased convenience only lifted turnout somewhat. This new paper was written by three MIT computer scientists. Votes has received no public outside scrutiny and publishes little about how it works. The researchers decompiled the latest Android version of the app and reverse-engineered a server that could speak to it, a, a clever trick. They found loads of problems with how the app implemented security and substantive weaknesses and how it protected privacy. To quote just one short passage, to sum up the privacy impact of votes, information sent to votes and or third parties associated with this service include the user's email, physical address, exact birth date, IP address, a current photo of themselves, their device's model and OS version, and preferred language. Identifying data is provided to third-party service Jumio and votes and... To the best of our knowledge, Votes makes no representations to its users about how long such information is retained, stored, or if it is shared beyond a general privacy policy that does not explicitly discuss Jumio, end quote. The paper's conclusion, quote, a passive network adversary can discover a user's vote and an active one can disrupt transmission and response. An attacker that controls a user's device also controls their vote, easily brushing aside the app's built-in countermeasures, and our analysis of the protocol shows that one who controls the server likely has full power to observe, alter, and add votes as they please, end quote. Votes has been in testing for use with overseas and military balloting and as a potential to provide effective voting for people who have disabilities who are unable to easily reach a polling place or travel at all. Over two years, it's counted about 600 votes across several states in pilot military projects. West Virginia was considering a wider rollout this fall. The state told the New York Times that it is pressing ahead. The researchers notified the Department of Homeland Security in January with their findings and worked through responsible disclosure practices before releasing their paper today. Votes said in a blog entry that the app used, downloaded from the Google Play App Store, was, quote, 27 versions old, end quote, and that the researchers' efforts to replicate the server-side interaction rendered their conclusions invalid. Online voting's first outing was not reassuring. The New York Times notes, quote, an initial experiment with wide-scale online voting took place in Washington a decade ago. It was called off after researchers hacked into the system, 
collecting HAL 9000, the computer from 2001, A Space Odyssey, as mayor, and making the University of Michigan fight song play every time a ballot was cast, end quote. On a related front, a Gallup poll released today found 59% of American adults said they are not confident in the honesty of elections in the U.S., while 40% are confident. Americans have among the lowest confidence from countries polled in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Only citizens of Chile and Mexico trust their elections less, and people in those two countries plus Latvia, Lithuania, and Turkey express lower positive confidence. Norway, Finland, and Sweden top the list at about 90% positive confidence. Even with voting tumult in the UK, 61% of its citizens say their elections are honest. That's not entirely surprising. Both the left and right mistrust voting. President Trump in particular has spent years lying about election manipulation. He accused California of ginning up votes among residents not legally able to cast a ballot. Just a few days ago in New Hampshire, Trump said this. Last time we won the primary tremendously. We should have won the election, but they had buses being shipped up from Massachusetts. Hundreds and hundreds of buses. And it was very, very close, even though they did. But this year, you know, we have a great governor, Governor Sununu, great governor, Chris. And now you get prosecuted if you do what they did. So it should be a lot different. Some Trump opponents are concerned that if the president were to lose on election night, he would attempt to sow enough distrust of results to create a coup-like situation. The first step to overturning elections is to eliminate confidence in their fairness. The head of the Iowa Democratic Party, Troy Price, resigned yesterday. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. Tune in again tomorrow for the latest election updates. Thanks for listening and have a pleasant rest of your day. Thank you.